We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Andy Liu, nine months and two days. That's how long it had been between Warriors games. Can you believe it? We're officially back. I'm going to say it was 19 months and two days because I don't count last season. That was as great as a first preseason game as I could have hoped for. I texted you this morning at like, I don't know, whatever time I woke up, just genuinely happy sam i am just happy not because not just because the warriors are back because they looked fun to watch and they looked like a good basketball team yeah i was wondering if you like it just started taking like a massive dose of prozac or something you sounded so <laughs> giddy uh, <laughs> i was uh yeah dude i mean i want to start with this it's just we're so used to the warriors playing like nine months because between the finals going all the way to mid-june and the season starting it's like you never had a break and then one last season sucked uh because the injuries and everything and then two uh, the COVID break, it just it, it felt like I have not been this excited for a first preseason game probably ever. I don't know. It's hard to say. Like, I always get excited when they start. But, like, just the, the sheer amount of time we went without seeing Steph Curry dribble a basketball. Uh, it was – I would say this was one of the most anticipated because, like, I don't even count, like, 14, 15 that preseason because it was like, well, we got Steve Kerr. But, you know, I don't really know what he's going to do. You don't know if he's good or not. You're a little curious, but there yeah. wasn't, like, anticipation. 
they weren't a championship team. Like we didn't think really think they were right. Like they were a second round out. So we're like, okay, like we'll see. We kind of know where they are. They might've maxed it out. And then like the KD stuff. Yeah. It was high anticipation, but it's like, does it really matter? Because we're really waiting for the postseason with KD, right? Yeah. I didn't, I mean, it was cool to see KD's yeah. first preseason game, but like, I didn't need to see them in preseason. Like you did it. I needed to see Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre and and Brent Wanamaker. I needed to see. I mean, I wish we could have seen Wiseman, but like I, lo- I love. You seeing mean uh, Igu Wanamaker? Or- <laughs> Two oh, strips. Two strips. I mean, even your boy Smiley had a strip, or he had like a rip. I, th- I was. He I also was- got blocked at the dunk three hey, times. Hey, but hey, um, hey. God, <laughs> happy things only. Happy things yeah, only. Come I was on, gonna say on. they. Um, so let's talk about that first yeah. preseason game. I mean, so let's be real. Uh, I don't think we learned anything we weren't anticipating we just kind of saw some things we wanted to see so like we kind of thought this team had the potential to be a really good athletic defensive team and just seeing game one in the preseason like the first thing that popped to me is like those dudes went hard right and Denver clearly did not go as hard but Denver also played in the bubble till basically October 1st the Warriors look like a team who's like we're not messing around we don't have four all-stars, Hall of Famers. We need to play possessions hard. And, and you know what I saw? I was like, yeah, dude, they can score a lot in transition if they just defend. Yep. Uh, the defensive stuff was interesting because it wasn't like – like I didn't feel like – Steve Kirk kept saying they were a top-10 defense. I didn't feel like this team was like complete lockdown, but love the athleticism because we talked about it all offseason. And then you see Ubre get beat or you see Ubre coming down weak side for a block, right? You see – Eric Paschal, uh push around Millsap like he wasn't a guy that was getting bullied. You see Andrew Wiggins like stay in front of players. It was just it was kind of everything. You that see I Steph body got. You, you saw Steph body up Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray. That was like fun. he was he that was, was a little. You could just tell he was like, dude, I'm. It's been way too long. I'm just hyped to play. Um, I think what was I think a positive to take from that was uh, Draymond didn't play. Pretty much the last couple of years, last year. I mean, if Draymond wasn't on the floor, it was like a layup line. It's just terrible, you know? <laughs> like, the fact that they can be competent, not perfect, but competent defensively without Draymond, it's just a small sample. But, like, Ubre used his length well. Ubre had three blocks. Did you know that? I think a couple of them might have been steals and they counted them as blocks, but it doesn't matter. Disruptive play either way, right? Yeah, he had a lot of weeks. It was KD, reminiscent of KD, kind of the right. weak side stuff was fantastic. And then, like, I mean, Wiggins, Wiggins was, was getting into it defensively. I thought he was probably not as good as Ubre, but whatever. No. Um, uh, Pascal's clearly got better defensively, yes. at least in yes. man coverage. Weak side still, you know, probably a work in right. progress. But that's right. kind of the last thing guys figure out anyway. It, man, it was fun. And Kevon Looney, let's throw him out there. Kevon Looney yeah. looked solid. He looked as healthy because, like, we don't expect him to take a leap, right? Like, that's not what – we're, what we want to see. I mean, it'd be nice if, if he, does, he just right. became a 40% three-point You're right. If he does, he does. But our thing here, as we talked about, is that how is he going to look on the floor? Is he healthy? And I think that was as good as you can, like, as good as you can get for someone like Looney. Never felt that way last was it, season. Was it, uh, was it Gary Harris who just drove into him and fell over? Or was it, yeah. Uh, yeah. Or was it you know, I think it was Gary Harris. Or maybe Monte uh, Morris, one of those guys, yeah. Yeah, and it was, uh, it was funny. He looked, he looked as healthy as he's looked in a yep. long time, and that was nice. Um it's funny. I, I don't think people realize Looney's younger than Ubre and Wiggins. Like not by a lot, but technically he's younger. And um, you know, he's he's just such a smart defender. 
I kind of think Kerr might end up splitting up Looney and Draymond to have one of them on the floor at all times to anchor the defense when Draymond comes back. But like either way, he looked really good. And um, my big positive takeaway from the game was I think this team can be really good defensively. We didn't even get to the bench. Like Brad Wanamaker. Yeah, we will. Yeah, we will. We yeah. will. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the, the I want to talk about Poole, right? We want to talk about Jordan Poole, Wanamaker, mm-hmm. Bazemore. But let, let's – you just talked about the team being a top 10 defense. And I I said top 12. I was like, the Miami Heat are a top 12 defense. I think Spole kind of put the pieces together and got them there. Do you think, Sam, realistically that they can be a top 10 defense? I think it's a reach. If they do, I, I think they're going to be they, I think they can, but I think that with the caveat of there's probably only four or five elite defenses and then seven or eight really good ones behind it. So, like, I really think the line of demarcations, like, top five, and then that, like, six to 12 range is, like, tier two. I think they can be in that group with maybe upside. That would be um, – yeah, that would be. I mean, that's that's what you're talking about. You don't know. You really don't know because a lot of these guys, like I don't think of Ubre and Wiggins as high IQ players defensively. Same with Pascal. But I thought the press was fa- – they broke out the press twice. I thought it was great. It, it reminded me of high school because we pressed in high school because we're a small Asian team. And they reminded me of like that team, except for this team's like athletic and Asians are not. So I thought right. that was hilarious. I, thought- well, I think that's – but it does kind of <laughs> hit the – you know, you press – when you can't fall back on like IQ and everything as much. It's like, we just got to get into them because we may not be able to make 16 rotations to make the smart play. Cause that's like a lot to ask of a young defensive team. So, you know, play defense is an advantage, get up in them. Um, getting back to your top 10 that's defensive great. point. I'm going to read you the top uh, 10 defenses last year, just for reference. All right. One was Milwaukee. Two was Toronto. Yeah, yeah. Three was the Lakers, four yeah. was Boston, five was the Clippers. I think all those teams, maybe not Toronto because they lost a lot of guys, but at least the other four probably just have a defensive gear that it's unlikely that this Warriors team can get to. Um, maybe, maybe not, but like I think depends the, Lakers, the Lakers have definitely shown that they have yeah. a gear above everyone. Yeah. The Clippers at times – Maybe they'll maybe they'll do more this year because yeah, Ibaka is just such yeah. a big upgrade. Yeah. Um, Boston might well no actually they added Tristan Thompson that might also take them up. They clearly have the the wing and perimeter defense working. Um, and then after those teams, I mean it's like Indiana, OKC, Philly. Okay, Philly's pretty damn good. Brooklyn, Orlando, Miami, Chicago, Utah. I, what I'm saying is I'm not sure that a team anchored by a motivated Draymond with all this length and athleticism can't be on the same tier as Indiana, Orlando, the Heat, those type of teams next year. And or sorry, this coming year. You're making a hell that that last point was great because you're talking about motivation and a lot of the the issues with the last few teams defensively is that they just don't give a shit as they should, as they shouldn't. But but you got guys like Bazemore who came off the bench and looked like uh, – I mean, I don't know. We're going to get to him. But, like, he looked incredible. Same with Wanamaker. And then you've got Uber and Wiggins that look like they're playing for something even though they're getting paid 15 to $30 million a season, right? Like, that type of stuff. And then if you get Draymond Green to give a shit, which I, it seems like he will, then you got a team that's going to be playing 100% for the regular season. The last time they did that, Sam, was probably 20 20- – 15, 15 16. 16. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, I was gonna throw this out there. By the way, shout out immigrant dad Joe Lacob saying 
Ubre and Wiggins are 25. Now is the time for them to take that step. You know, he kind of put a lot of pressure on them when he was talking with Fitz. We're going to get into Fitz is just, I mean, that was one of the most spectacular broadcasts of all time. Special stuff. But let's put that on the table. But like, I think it's not lost on Ubre and Wiggins that the Warriors will trade them or move on from them if they don't kind of lock in and play up to their athletic capabilities. Um, Wiggins just came from Minnesota where it's mostly like a dumpster fire. Most of his career, right? Last thing he wants is to be traded to, uh, you know, another dumpster right, fire right, and, right, and have right, that right. sort of thing happen. Ubre bounced around the league a little bit, right? Ubre right. is aware that this is the best team he's landed on in terms of the way they treat players, in terms of facilities, coaching. Obviously, Steph Curry's better than anyone he's ever played with. Um, shout out Joe Lacob saying he's just better. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was Joe Lacob was uh, – uh, that, that was impressive. That that was a hell of – okay, actually, before before we go there, um, the motivation stuff is huge. Um, I think it's huge because a team that – like as much as Steph can say – this is the leadership stuff, right, that you get from Iguodala and Livingston and and, um, and David West and a lot of those veterans. As much as Steph can say he's going to come and play 100%, a lot of the times it doesn't – it's like Steph is always going to play hard. Like he's always going to be there. But – you need to get the, the re- you need to get the rest of guys to be on that same level. So I don't know what Steph is doing behind the scenes. Maybe it's Steph. Maybe it's Steve Kerr. Maybe we throw him some credit too. But a but a team with players that you you know sometimes feel may not play as hard as they want or can, especially like Andrew Wiggins, that was fun to see, especially for a game that uh it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like a first preseason game against the Denver Nuggets doesn't matter. But they no. treated that thing like it was a playoff game. It felt like they felt like they were playing like it was a playoff game. Honestly. Yeah, and um, I mean, Steve Kerr will talk about how important chemistry and everything is, and the Warriors have a lot of success with chemistry. The first championship doesn't happen without kind of like this next level of chemistry that you don't see in the NBA very often, right? And because of that, they got KD to come here, and it slowly kind of wore down over time. But this really did look like the 2012-13 Warriors where you're like, I know Steph's good. I don't really know what's going on with the other players, but there's something going on here that's interesting. I just want to bring up one quote. Um, Kent Bazemore, and part of the reason I think they signed him was because Bazemore is one of those vets who's going to kind of keep the attitude positive and keep everyone moving. He says, after the game tonight, we've got 95% of the team in the weight room lifting. We've got a lot of guys who just love to get after it. The practices have been intense I don't want to read too much into that but like I think it was visible when you watch the Warriors last night like I don't think they pretend they're the most talented team I don't think that they're under some illusion that they're the most talented team I think they know they can do some things well and they have to outwork people and it's it really does have those early Mark Jackson years vibes to it where you're just like I don't know how good this team's going to be, but I know they got something. I know they got the right kind of guys. Yeah, that that's not probably. We actually probably didn't even talk about that enough. Were the positive vibes and the and the first of all, Jimmy Butler vibes with the Ken Bazemore lifting after the game. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. Enjoyed that. Uh, but the the positive vibe stuff is huge because you never, as great as David West and Iguodala and and those vets are, they weren't like a raw raw type of team. It was more of like no. a 
it was more of like a let's keep this shit together, right? <laughs> so that so that we can make it to the postseason, win a title type of team, right? With this team, is you don't you don't need that. Like you don't need that. There's no Kelly Oubre is not coming out there and he's not talking about. Yeah, Oubre doesn't he's, need he's, to save his body for June twentieth. Yep. <laughs> you know, there's none of that stuff. It's more of a get these guys in a mindset to play hard every single game and stay positive, even when this team is going to lose like three games out of five kind of thing. So. Right. That's what Bazemore is there for. That's what Wanamaker is there. Wanamaker is there for. And it's also good that those guys can play. Like they yeah. have Zaza and Liv Livingston on the bench. I and mean, those guys are there teaching the players. But it's not the same as guys in the locker room. And uh, that's that's stuff that I don't think we saw last season. Like Alec Burst wasn't that guy. Glenn Robinson wasn't that guy. And we didn't see that the season before. Like Quinn Cook is a fun guy, but he wasn't playing. He was also terrible. Right. So it's like it's cool to have players that can play and be that positive um, uh, reinforcement on the bench. Absolutely. Um, let's move on to the next thing, which is going to be the thing that, uh, that kind of moves everyone forward here. Uh, the teammates, the, the second biggest take I had from the game was their teammates are not used to playing with Steph Curry in any capacity. Like we saw Andre Godala like that tweet of, Eric Pascal gets the ball in the corner. Steph is wide open on the elbow uh, wing area, and he just jacks it up. And, you know, if that was Iguodala or Draymond, they immediately swing it to, to Steph because they know Steph open behind the three-point line is better than them open behind the three-point line. Um, it's easy to forget that, you know, just because Steph is one of the best on and off ball players does not mean there isn't a learning curve to understanding how to play with him because so much of what he does is improvisational. And if you're not on the same level as him, you'll miss it. Do you think, number one, how long do you think it's going to take for them to get there, start there? Like to a place where, no, not the same, not the same as it was in 2016, 17, 17, 18, et cetera, but to a point where Steph is effective enough off the ball where they can keep playing him off the ball. It's going to take months, weeks, I think at <laughs> the least, whole damn season. <laughs> I think at least weeks. I think it's unlikely that any team will ever be able to do like the ping, ping, ping passing the way that the Warriors did like four or five years ago. Like that doesn't happen. You don't, you, you don't get the kind of guys who can make that many reads have played a hundred, you know, 200 games together regularly. But like in terms of the basic stuff, like that one play, Steph is open five feet away from you. Like that's stuff that like Eric Pascal or Andrew Wiggins or someone like that should be able to get after they play like five to t- 10 games or something, okay. you know, you know, like that's like the basic reads. Like I catch the ball. If Steph is open swing <laughs> instead of just, you know, looking for my own shot, that sort of stuff. Yeah. I do think some of that should come over time. The other aspect of it was just timing. Like, guys throwing passes to where they thought guys would be or not. Kind yeah, of that was, should. that's yeah. just preseason. That's just exactly what you expect that. Yeah. Steph had some ugly passes where he was, he was obviously forcing it a little bit, um, but that's fine. Like he's always going to do that. And I do think it's going to take a week or so to get him back in, uh, back in rhythm there. Yeah. I'm with you. I think it'll take a few weeks for them. I don't think they'll get to a phase where you've got Andre Godala like mind melded with Stephen clay right. where he's, like, dribbling. And then, and then all of a sudden, boom, he gets a pass of those guys in the corner. I don't think we'll get there, but the easy stuff, swinging the ball, finding stuff in transition. Um, there's a few, there were a few plays where 
it was obvious that Steph was giving the ball away to get the ball back off another screen. And Looney knows whether to set that screen. I think Chris even knows to set that screen because he's played that big position before. But I don't think that someone like Oubre or Wiggins even or Pascal knows that when Steph's giving it up, it's not that he's giving up for you to do your own thing. He's giving it up so that he can set the defender up for like a uh, like a like a flare screen, right, or a cut to the basket or something like that. So so that may take yeah a few weeks to to get there. I don't think Ubre and, and Pascal and Wiggins are dumb players. They're just not a Godala, so that it may take like a month or a few weeks to get there. But yeah, I'm not too concerned unless I'm seeing these same issues by uh, by midseason. Yeah, Steve Kerr said this. He goes, "It takes time." Curry is so unique. There's nobody like him in the NBA. Nobody can play on and off ball at the level and create that much havoc. I think with most, most players who come in, they're not used to the second half of the possession. They're used to whatever the pattern is in the beginning, but whenever Steph gives up the ball, that's when the action really starts. That's the way we play. That's the tricky part. He's right. Most people are used to playing James Harden, dumbed down basketball where it's pick and roll, Shoot it if you get the ball. That's it. So I actually think this is what Andre Godala was talking about when he said the game's getting dumbed down. Mm. I also think you made a good point with the with the James Harden stuff because I don't think it's just James Harden. Let's let's throw no no no. He's just he's just a poster child for it. Even even like Dame, right? Who's like kind of the guy that ESPN had him ranked against above Steph, and it's like you play with Dame. Even Dame doesn't play off ball. So it's like it's easier to play with Dame. The thing about Steph is he's so he's just as good on ball as he is off ball that people think it's a knock on Steph, right? That oh, if he's not playing well and he's off ball, it's there a bad isn't, thing. There is an irony to somehow people don't think he's the most all around player. When I would argue he's by far the most all around player in the NBA. Like, can Russell Westbrook do anything he can do off ball? Fucking chance. No, no not James even Harden. On the ball. No, exactly. That's what I'm saying. So it's like, I, I think when people say all around, what they're really saying is like just padding counting stats. Like yeah. you get a lot more like there. Can they set a screen? Can they drag defenders? Can they deke a defender when they're off ball and get themselves open? I don't know about that, you know? So and, um, that stuff just comes over time. though. And the Steph slow start stuff, by the way, I will say this because he he only had 10 points and he didn't shoot much. If Steph wanted to shoot 15 times yesterday, 20 times yesterday, he probably would have scored 30 points. That's not what's going to make this team. That's not going to fulfill the potential of this team. Like they need Steph to play like as who Steph is in his entire career. If he's going to change who he is now and become a ball dominant 30 shot a game guy, they're not going anywhere. Like, they're not going anywhere outside of, like, a six seed or, like, an eight, seven, six seed. They're not winning more than that, right? If Steph can play off ball like he is before and, the, and he can get the teammates to find him, they have a chance to, to get past the first, second round. So, I don't see the also, reason why he needs to do that. Also, he took 10 shots in 20 minutes. It's not bad. You, you, how much have you watched Steph over the years? He miss he goes two for ten in his first ten shots, and then he hits a couple in a row, and he ends the game eleven for twenty. Like it's just the way he plays. I'm not really concerned about his shot making. Um, I wasn't concerned when he missing shots and like the little he played last year. I've watched Steph miss shots five games in a row, and then literally get hotter than any human ever for the next ten games. Yeah, you know, yeah. like it's my concerns with Steph would be if he showed actual physical decline. Uh, but I didn't see any of that last night. I saw a dude who was trying to get his teammates going, and That's they tough. were dealing with the fact that you know none of them had played together. Like, Look, 
there's a big difference. I'm watching the Nets game here, and all it is is Kyrie trying to show his new moves off, you know? And that's just a difference in mentality. Kyrie's like, I haven't played in nine months, and I need to show you all all these hezzy dribbles and moves I got. Steph's like, I haven't played in nine months, and I need to figure out how to get my teammates going. That's a that's just a fundamental difference. There's value to both of it, by the way. There's value to like Kyrie oh, being good. that dude, but like, it's you know, it it is what it is. God, that's good. Also, uh, you you t- you talked about the Nets. I was literally going to talk about KD. Um, he's not KD. KD can just come on the court after he tore a freaking Achilles and look like he's Kevin Durant. Like Steph is not that guy. He's not no. that guy. Give, give, him, give him a little time. Like you said, he, needs, he wants to get his teammates involved because he knows that in order to win a goddamn championship, you need everybody to be great. You need every, even LeBron James needs people around him to be great. And, and that's I'll take it a step farther. If I think if the Warriors try to play just high pick and roll with Steph, you're going to get a worse version of Oubre and Wiggins and Draymond, yep. and they won't make the playoffs. This isn't a team that's really designed to have those guys spot up. I mean, can you imagine that? Just Oubre spotting up and going two for ten from three. Like, do you want to watch that? <laughs> no, it's not I mean, the no. way to get. It's not the way to get them. Like this roster has my my third take, which we we're going to talk about later, was they have some shooting issues and. Um, you know, it's not going to help if they just try to have those guys space around the three-point line. Okay. It's only going to be worse. Let's talk about it now because I, I, the pick-and-roll stuff yesterday was fine. They ran a few pick-and-rolls, but it's not going to work without Draymond. Um, it's just they got Kevon Looney trying to make plays, right? They got some guys that are trying to make that secondary action where they throw two or three at Stephanie's open. I never want to see Kevon Looney kind of make that play. That's Draymond's bread and butter. Go to the rim. Lay, uh, give it down to Wiggins, Ubre, whoever it is, make a play. That's an easy bucket. Right? That's money. So they need him back to, for that. The shooting, <laughs> uh, the shooting is another story. Uh, Michael Mulder, Damian Lee uh, uh, are shooters, but they're not players. On, like they're not getting more than ten minutes on this team in a game. The guys that are playing minutes, and are I don't know Ubre how they with, can. When you look at the the roster, there's a lot can. of guys on the perimeter. Yeah, they can't. They can't. Uh, Jordan Poole made shots too. So those guys are shooters, but. As much as you want, as much as you're like happy those guys can shoot, Sam, it's up to Pascal, Ubre, and Wiggins to be able to shoot. And uh, what did you think? Because <laughs> Pascal shot an air ball um, on one of his first threes, which is funny. Yeah, so now we're going to move to the negative portion. Um, I don't even want <laughs> to call it negative, but like the, the realistic portion is um, Ubre and Wiggins can, Ubre and Wiggins shot – three for 12. They can shoot better. They've been historically inconsistent shooters, but their form is not broken. I think they can get that up to, I think they can both shoot 35% from three is they basically should. what I'm getting they at. Should. Yeah. yeah. Maybe Uber can shoot a little better. I kind of like his shot a little more than I like Wiggins. Uh, Wiggins just hesitates and loves to make a shot more difficult. Basically is what it comes down to. But, um, Pascal, I didn't see anything in terms of shot form that made me feel a little more confident about it. Did you? No. No, no, no. But the rest of Pascal's game was was fantastic. So, oh, yeah, totally. It was fantastic. But, yes, we are in the, the shooting threes portion of the podcast. And, uh, no, I wasn't too enthused about what I saw from, from Eric Pascal. Um, it is what it is. Give him a couple more games. But if he is who he is last season, then, you know, what can you do? We didn't expect him to be a 35% percent shooter. If he can get to 32, it'd be fun. Doesn't look like he's a 30%-ish kind of guy. But, man, that mid-range looks good. The shot looks good. The defense looks good. I mean, the shot getting to the hole looks good, right? Uh, 
yeah, maybe his maybe fo- it's mean, funny. His form doesn't look weird when he's at that like fifteen foot range. It's beautiful. It's yeah. money. It's money at fifteen. I, I, I really don't get it. Like it, usually guys who are pretty money from 15 to 20 can eventually stretch their form to three. I, I think it's because he's just jumping too high. He can do yeah. that. He can do that from mid range. But when you're doing that from 20, you know, from three point range, it's just, it becomes, it's too far. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know, but it's something we need to track because if they can't shoot from deep there, it's going to severely limit their ceiling. Yeah. I don't think either you or I are under any sort of illusion. They're going to be a great shooting team. We're looking for them to be league average from three. If they can get as a unit to league average, I'll be happy. You had a good stat. You had a tweet about a good stat yeah. about this team, because I did feel like they shot a million threes in the first six minutes of the game. Oh, they did. <laughs> I don't I mean, know how I felt about that, but I think you had some numbers around the percentages of kind of like what they need to get to if they're going to shoot 40 plus threes. Again. Yeah, so I'll, I'll pull those up for those who didn't see it. One, the starting unit took 22 threes and only 18 twos. Um, I think some of that was just early game Ross not knowing how to kind of make the extra pass to get a layup. Uh, hopefully that changes, but they went five for 22 from three and 11 for 18 from two. 11 from 18 from two is 60 over 60%. I'll take that, right? Um, five for 22 from three is under 25%. I, I would like to return that to the store, to be honest. So <laughs> that's not great. Um, but we'll see what happens. I think a lot of that was just like not being comfortable in the offense, but being good in transition. Um, to your point on my shooting stat, I mentioned this on the pod before. If Steph takes 12 threes a game, which I think he will, I assume he's going to make five. Five is about 41%, right? Yeah. Can Steph shoot 41% from three? I think so. Uh, not bad, not bad. If the rest, if they take about 35 as a team and the rest of the team shoots 33%, that works out to about 36%, which would put them at what league average was last year. What I'm getting to is I need, every, I need the rest of the team to be in the mid-30s and Steph to do his Steph thing. And I think they will be a league average team. It would be nice to have someone shoot 38, 39, 40%. But like, realistically, I will take like Wiggins, Oubre, Pascal, these dudes being like 35, 36% and Steph just taking a bunch of shots. And I think that'll work. I think, I think that's realistic. Also, I don't think you're asking, you're not asking Kelly Oubre to get to 38%. And I think they're, they got open shots. We, we saw yeah. yesterday that Oubre and Wiggins got open shots and throughout a course of the season, unless these guys are like mental midgets and they're not like they choke, right? Like, like, uh, what's his name? Omri Caspi and they're suddenly unable to shoot the damn basketball. Like, I don't think we're getting that from guys like Wiggins and, uh, and Oubre. And then, you know, Bazemore is tricky. Um, he, he got one of them, one of them good streaks yesterday, but he'll yeah. have up and down games. Um, we should probably talk about that, but I think they'll get there. Um, I think they'll get there maybe a little bit lower. I would err on the sh- side of Sam that they'll probably be like at the 34% ish, maybe a little bit lower sure. than that, 33 if I had to be realistic about it. But yeah, I think they're good enough. I think they're good enough offensively to get there. And I think, uh, we were also missing Draymond Green, who's someone that can get those guys even better shots. Right, like I'm really excited to see Draymond on offense because we think of him on defense, defense, defense. But he's also someone that can get guys passes. And uh, as fun as it was to watch the Wings last night, the new Wings, um, and I think of Wings as Pascal, Ubre, Wiggins. Draymond is the one that can get people open shots. So it'd be good to get him back. And and you noticed him missing when like no one was able to make the extra read. No one was in the middle of the court making the extra pass. So 
I think they'll, um, I think they'll, you know, when he comes back, it'll be good. Doesn't sound like we're going to see him in preseason. Yeah. Uh, there was one other thing I didn't, one other um, negative thing I have to say about the first game. And that's the center position. Um, I'm not in love with the depth they have right now. Obviously, Wiseman and Draymond being out is the most important thing. Looney looked excellent. Marquise Chris looked awful. Smiley Geach still looks unplayable. I mean, he's just a sideshow at this point. And um, I just wonder about that depth at the center position because, I mean, okay, Jokic is one of the two to three best centers in the league. He got whatever he wanted, even though he wasn't even trying. But he's going to get what he wants against most teams, right? So, I don't know. It does feel like center is going to be something we have to monitor, and maybe they really should look at someone like Deadmond adding to it. I don't know how much of a difference it makes, but um, it was somewhat of a weakness for me. Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> no, no, not somewhat. It, it is a weakness, and not just because it's Nikola Jokic, who didn't matter if the Warriors had Deadman, or honestly, didn't matter if they had Mark fucking Gasol. He would have feasted. He's that good now. I love Jokic. Uh, I'm watching Isaac Okoro, Patrick Williams, and Denny Avdia highlights, Sam. Not bad. Not bad. James Wiseman? <laughs> Let's see what he looks like when he plays, right, in a couple weeks, because uh, some of these some of these guys in this NBA draft look pretty good. Um, again, it's just it's just one game. Um, but they look pretty good. So, with regards to the center you position, you didn't throw in Tall Rubio. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Uh, I'm not a fan of Tall Rubio. Those passes no are defense. those passes are very sexy. Yeah, congrats, congratulations. But, but I do think it's hilarious how no one mentions the O for five, and um, it'll nuke a career if you can't shoot. It's very simple. Like look at Markel Fultz, right? It's just it's that simple. Or just Ricky Rubio. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> at least yeah. Rubio. At least Rubio. Uh, well, it, I mean, it just puts like player. a huge. It just puts a huge ceiling. Like Rubio's yeah. fine, but yeah. like if if he's gonna be a tall Rubio, like I, I'm not gonna be upset that they pass. And Rubio on that can player. play. And Rubio can play defense. That's true. <laughs> like Lamelo Ball. In no way do we think Lamelo Ball even gives a shit or will actually play. We're not doing. We're not doing this right now. But the center position, I Sam, there's. I don't think there's anything they can do. Like, what can they do outside of people keep saying Deadman, Deadman, Deadman? Fine, fine. They signed Deadman. I, I think you're right. I think, um, I think if they do anything about center, it'll be a midseason trade. I think if we get to like late January and, mm-hmm. and Wiseman just, he just, you know, the COVID has just set him back so much that like we got to be realistic. Like, it's just mean to ask him to do too much now, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, Looney's good, but like Looney kind of has, you know, only 20 minutes a game in his legs. Uh, then maybe they go in the trade route because like the weird thing about this Warriors team is like, I don't see any minutes for Damian Lee or Michael Mulder. And I feel like they could play. They can help the team. Like they actually even have Jordan a, Poole, honestly. They actually have a decent amount of depth along the perimeter. Uh, it's not perfect, but they definitely have guys that other NBA teams would like along there. So I could see potentially if we're like in late January and it's just very clear that like we need to like slow our roll on Wiseman because COVID set him back so much, uh, then they go the trade route, you know, to try to get a vet in there. It's also unfair to, to put Wiseman in that situation. We're not ex- like Washington doesn't expect any FDA to be a fucking 25. 25- 
<clears throat> a starting game. a starting wing on a playoff in a playoff team. team. Yeah, yeah, I mean, come on. Even if the even if Washington makes the playoffs, which I think they will, at eight or seven, it's like they're an eight or seven seed in the East. Like the Warriors may make the playoffs at an eight, seven, six, but like they're legitimately better than the Washington Wizards. So it's like I don't. I think it's unfair, um, and I think if you put Wiseman on a team that he could have played 30 minutes, he'll probably put up numbers too. Like, he'll be fine. So, yeah, I'm with you. So, end of the day, it comes down to uh, Chris didn't look great, in my opinion. So he didn't look great. Uh, but, again, it's one game. Uh, Looney's fine. And then it comes down to Draymond Green, right? It comes down to can he yeah. be motivated enough to play that five? And, and on top of that, can Pascal play the four? Because it looked like last night he could play the four. But, like, for me, it looked like he could play the four. But So, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Um, okay, I want to uh, – we have a couple things to get to, then we will bring Wes on to discuss what it was like to be in Chase last night. Um, Jordan Poole looked excellent, in my opinion. I think, uh, you know, it's one game. The same way Steph missed all his shots uh, from deep, Jordan Poole made all his shots. So, you know, you, you, you can't read too much into the shot making, but one thing I did like about him was how much more controlled and comfortable he looked. You and I have both heard he's been kind of dominating workouts all summer, and he had been the guy. I mean, Fitz said it, but uh, he'd been known before. He'd been kind of the number one guy at all the workouts over the summer, and I never know how serious to take that stuff. He is young, <laughs> but, um, it, you know, he, he looked a lot more like the player we were hoping they would get when they drafted him as opposed to well, the player who had a terrible rookie year. I, as someone that does not believe in him and did not believe in him for, I think, the last few months, I will say, you know, about six months ago that I think what last season did for Jordan Poole is that it's given him the experience to say this is the bottom. Like, this is the bottom and this is what NBA players look like. I now know what to do, right? And if he's gotten better as a player, which I'm skeptical about, uh, then he's going to be that much better. There were a few plays, just that one play that he made where he had the ball in the wing he drove to the middle of the paint. Then he pump faked and shot like an eight foot fadeaway and nothing but net, right? Like that little play right there told me like, damn, like last season was that play was like an out of control, like go to the hoop, left hand, wild left hand layup that goes yeah. over that backboard kind of bullshit. That play right there told me like, damn, like he kind of, he might be like, he might, it's like the, the game slowing down. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Classic cliche. Like they get, which is like, damn, I'm, I'm watching the game like, I hope I hope I'm wrong, Sam. And I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. And if he's a player that can shoot 37, 38% from three, yesterday's shot looked great. And if he can get to the hole and then he can guard ones, man, yeah, he's playing he's playing ahead of Lee and Mulder, like hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. I thought he looked excellent. Um finally. Finally. We gotta discuss my guy, Bob okay. Fitzgerald, the best go. in the business. The absolute best in the business. That interview with Joe Lacob was, I mean, the, the CCP is envious of the propaganda campaign he was running. That was next level. That was, I, I don't even think, I mean, peak Soviet Union can't, can't do that sort of stuff. I got people like texting me uh, about stuff he's saying. They're like, hey, I think Smiley's good. I'm like, did you watch the game? Or were you just listening to Bob tell you about how good it was that he knew how to drive and get his dunk blocked? Like, it was just amazing. It was, as I get older, um, I think I appreciate Fitz more, Sam. I, I truly think I appreciate Bob Fitzgerald more as I get older. The ultimate company, man. <laughs> I, you know, I, I used to get annoyed. I think growing up, I didn't think too much of it. You're a kid. What do you know? 
uh, and I didn't mind it. And, but and, I, you, and they sucked. And so it was annoying to have him just like lie to you about yeah. stuff. <laughs> um, and, you know, now as I watch it more and more, it's, it's all in the entertainment, man. I don't think there's necessarily anything harmful that the guy is doing. And I'm watching a broadcast. And, yeah, people are like, you can watch it on mute, et cetera. But it's like, you know, I want to watch the game. And I want to be entertained by the guy that's talking. And I think Fitz has gotten to a point where if you don't take Fitz seriously, if you don't think that he actually means what he's telling you, that Alan Smiley Geek is the next Davis Bertans, then you're just going to enjoy what he's talking about. Uh, I want to hear you talk about Joe Lacob, which was fantastic. Joe Lacob, I think, uh, I think is a genuinely like, uh, relatively likable guy. I think was likable if you're a Warrior fan. That's hilarious <laughs> uh, watching Smiley Geach, uh because we tend to roast Kurt and Kent a lot. Uh, but Joe Lacob loves the guy too. Joe Lacob loves the guy. He wants. Oh, when him. he stood up, when Smiley uh, took the three, I, I nearly lost it. That was the funniest thing I'd seen in a long time. Uh, I mean, beyond that, I just I appreciate like you can tell Joe Lacob had been coached by Raymond Ritter to not overreact to certain comments, like when he's talking about like how he wants to get fans in the arena, you know, like if Joe was uncensored, he'd be like the city of San Francisco, we got to do this. What was wrong with them? And, and he like clearly took a breath. He's like, yeah, it's uh, it's difficult. And we're just trying. <laughs> he, uh, which is funny because that's what he did on the TK pod. He literally went off on San Francisco, which, you know, a lot of it was fair. Um, yeah. But uh he he seems the UA mask sent me though. Like the guy had a had an Under Armour mask on that had me rolling. Um, sh- shouts to Steph for. Oh, uh, the man! The man knows he needs that extension signed immediately. <laughs> Joe's Joe's just uh, Joe's whining and dining. It reminds me of when KD didn't sign the extension, and and uh, he did. You remember at ring ceremony? He's like, "Hey, here's a pen. You want to sign that type of thing?" And I was just like losing it. I mean. He's uh, hey, you don't get that successful at business if you don't have a close a deal. I'll just put it <laughs> the uh, yeah, they it was. I mean, it was a fun, it was a fun game. It was a fun broadcast. It was uh, this team's going to be fun to watch. I really didn't have anything. Kind of didn't have anything bad to say about anything. The um, you know, it, it did suck to see no fans at Chase. Chase looks fantastic as ever. Um, I know you and I have been quite a few times. So um, no, but uh, shouts to Fitz. I am curious to see what he says this season. You know, because I do think one of the players of Wiggins, Pascal, and, and Ubre is gonna be like, like a bigger leap, right, than the other guys. Not just a mini leap, but a big leap. I just, I want to hear it. I'm waiting for. Yeah, yeah. I'm I waiting mean, for the it's Wiggins. Unrealistic to think everyone's gonna take a leap, but yeah. one player will for sure. I want to hear him say that's the best wing combo in the league. You know, what I mean, like, I just want. <laughs> I want to hear him talk about. I mean, how like, I mean, he was. It was preseason for the players, but Fitz was in regu- in playoff form. I mean, the dude said Chase was the safest place <laughs> in the world last yesterday. He's like, with the testing gone here, there's no place safer on earth than the Chase Center. And I was just like, did he really just say that? You know what I mean, I'm gonna do? You know what we're gonna do, Sam? Is we're gonna we're gonna put together each each we each game. I'm just gonna write down in our in our uh, prep doc, just like a like a quote Fitz take of the week. Yep, like a Fitz <laughs> take of the week. Like this week, it's that he said Chase Center is the safest place in America. Like next week, what are we gonna hear? Andrew Wiggins is better than Jason Tatum. Andrew Wiggins and Ubre are better than Tatum and 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 and, uh, and Jalen Brown. Like that's the shit I like to hear. It's it's energy. Uh, the first Celtics game, he's gonna start alluding to how there's no difference between the two of them. <laughs> so yeah, you're right. All right. 
football, basketball. Let's change it up. Pet online, basketball is back in full swing. Are you kidding me? We got the Warriors. We got KD play tonight, the Lakers and Clippers. I mean, God, it's going to be a fun season. So you might not be at a game this year. I know Chase is not allowing him for now, but you can still be on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get on every possible chance to win this season. Game spreads, totals, team. Player, coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on the season opening bonuses today. Season starts in 10 days. Start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today. Take advantage of the great sign-up bonuses. Blue Wire. BetOnline.ag. Blue Wire, all one word. Bet, Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses around the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world. More total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates and quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers. A short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it in fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Best offer available anywhere. Go right now. Uh, Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. And now, special guest uh, from the Mercury News, Wes Goldberg. Wes, how you doing? I'm good. Um, good news is I tested negative for the coronavirus courtesy of the warriors so feeling pretty safe feeling pretty good about myself yeah so naturally after the game you you went out and like hit up every like secret underground club because you knew you were negative right now (laughs) that's right yeah um no tell us about the um the testing protocol everyone's aware that you know joe lacob presented this plan to the city of san francisco in hopes of having you know 50,000 or 50 percent of the fans in there but yeah 50 i mean if he could i'm sure he would but uh uh, you're kind of uh the inaugural people to go through this testing program so tell us what it was like uh surprisingly efficient i would say it was pretty pain-free i don't know if you guys have done a coronavirus test maybe like a few months ago when all this first started i remember i i i got one and it was that giant uh, noodle of a of a swab that yeah I've done that one a handful of times yeah where it goes right up to your brain and really gets to know you oh I never done was, that one Jesus yeah it was it, it was really it's like super uncomfortable and I, I I was not looking forward to doing that again just to go cover this game with absolutely no access but uh, it wasn't like that it was pleasantly more not as intrusive uh, just sort of at the bottom of the the, the nasal cavity there. And so, um, yeah, it, you you kind of go through this test really quick, and then you go into this waiting room type deal, outdoor waiting room for about forty minutes, forty five minutes until they come back to you with your test. They get, you get like a text alert. They say, "Hey, your uh, your results are ready." Then you go back down to the room where you got the test. They get, they hand you a little business card sized card. Nobody looks at it. They just hand it to you. 
um, so that you're not in, in, you know, invading privacy rules or whatever. And then it says whether or not you tested negative or positive and you read it. And, and if you tested positive, I guess, I guess you go home. And if you tested negative, you go into the media entrance. And, um, and so they were, they outlined the entire procedure pretty quickly um, and efficiently. It, it happened within, I would say an hour between me getting there. I got there at like two 30. I was in the arena by three 30 and uh, they had you wear masks the entire time. Um, and I felt, I felt good about it. You know, I hadn't seen all these dirty media members in a really long time, but I felt pretty safe. Who had the worst mask? Tell us it was Ethan. No, just kidding. Um, gotta, be, gotta be Ethan. Gotta be. Um, what, what, what I was actually going to ask was, uh, where'd they have you guys sitting? Were you in the media section or because you have a gigantic arena, did they spread you out in the seats and everything? The top of the lower bowl on the 50 okay. yard line, basically. Nice. See, so like two seats apart or something. That's what mm-hmm. I'm talking about. You know, COVID, COVID given media the good seats. You know, uh, before when it was the when it was the fans in the arena, we were stuck in the corner. Or you were stuck in the corner, like yeah. behind the backboard kind of thing. So you're fit. Wow. Well, let's not let's not go overboard. They weren't good seats. I still couldn't hear anything. They were piping in crowd noise for some reason. They could hear on, that. They played "We Are the Champions" on loop at the end of the game when we were trying to conduct Zoom interviews. It was it was it was a little strange, but. Uh, I don't know if I think they were trying to do like a test thing. I don't think they were like celebrating beating the Nuggets in the first preseason game, but uh, maybe they were. So <laughs> I wouldn't go as far as to say that their great seats were still pretty far away from what was actually happening, but it definitely, like you said, beats this weird corner of the, the Chase Center type deal. Uh, we at least got to see both sides of the court for once, which was nice. They piped in crowd noise, huh? How was that? So my, I have a theory that you should not be allowed. And I, I thought about this with the NFL when you're watching a Miami Dolphins game and the crowd noise is like extremely loud and it's louder than it's ever been for 30 right. years. For Miami Dolphins game. You should not be allowed to pipe in crowd noise louder than what your <laughs> average live crowd was the previous season. And unfortunately for the Warriors, if they were to pipe in crowd noise uh, and try to compare that to Oracle would not have even been close, right? This, this artificial crowd noise um, on Saturday. But last night's crowd noise was definitely louder than what it was a majority of the time at Chase Center in San Francisco. And I thought that that was uh, – I think that's cheating and, and teams should not be allowed to do that. I didn't, I didn't hear anyone ask this question. Uh, maybe they did. But have, have the players talked about how they feel about the fake crowd noise and the, the no fans thing? Because I think this is different than the bubble. Because the bubble, you know, you have smaller court, artificial walls. Like it, it really works in terms of – what they were trying to accomplish. This is like baseball where you're like, well, playing in this massive stadium that's empty. Uh, we've, we've asked the players a lot about that, but they, they give you the same media friendly answer uh, <laughs> in that it's going to be weird, but we're professionals and it's our job. So we're going to do it anyway. And I hate that answer because it is weird and it's my job and I'm there anyway, covering the game. But I can tell you that it's really freaking weird and that the crowd noise <laughs> was uncomfortable. Like just, I wish a player would just come out and say that and just say, you know what? I understand why we're doing it and it's the right thing to do. And I get it, but it's weird to hear like <laughs> the ghosts of fans of seasons past filling the, the bowels of this arena. Yeah. Um, so, so what about the game itself? Let's get your, I, I mean, Andy and I talked for at least a half an hour before he came on. Um, but I want to, I'm curious, what were your takes? First impressions, first warrior preseason game, obviously no clay Thompson. What are your impressions of this team so far? I think offensively it's going to be pretty clunky, but understandably so. You know, I think Steph Curry, 
we talk about Steph in a way that he's so easy to play with because he makes the game so much easier for everybody. And those two things are kind of exclusive of each other. He makes the game easier for everybody he plays with because of the spacing and all the things that we know about him. But he's really hard to play with. And that's not because he's a bad teammate and it's not a negative thing. It's just because I don't know if you guys have played like pickup in your like or whatever, but you, you, if you've ever played with a guy who's just a little bit off the regular rhythm, there's a, there's a natural pace to games. There's a natural like spacing. There's a natural geometry thing. One of the things that makes stuff so dangerous and so impossible to defend is because he just, he takes all those rules and throws them in the way and it's just, he's impossible to defend. And because because he's so unpredictable with all the relocation and all those things that he's supposed to do. But if you're Andrew Wiggins or Kelly Oubre or Eric Paschal or Brad Wanamake, you've never played with a player like that, not just in your NBA career, but probably in your entire life. And that's hard. It's hard to understand where you need to be when Steph is on one in one corner and one se- and two seconds later, he's on another part of the court and you can't be in his zone. You can't be in his space. So you need to learn how to move off of Steph. Um, just as Steph is able to create space for you. And I think you're going to see a, uh, this team take a lot of games in a few weeks to really sort of learn that chemistry with with Steph Curry. And getting Draymond Green back is going to help that to a certain degree. But, you know, if Brad Wanamaker is standing above the break on the left side and, and Steph Curry wants to run from the right corner all the way around the arc, Brad Wanamaker needs to know to get it the hell out of the way, you know. And I, think I think that's that a great point. Take, that just takes a little bit of time. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And we were debating how long that would take. I think we settled on the, hey, like it may take a month, you know, a few weeks for these guys to get ready. It would be a concern if it took longer than that. I think if it was a few months in, maybe even pre, uh, maybe even like almost midseason and this team kind of still doesn't know what Steph wants to do, I think then we have a problem. Um, but I don't know if we think that these guys, they aren't high IQ. I wouldn't say Wiggins and, and Pascor and Ubre are high IQ, but I don't think they're low IQ either. No, I think it's going to be different for everybody, too. I think for the wings, it's going to be a little bit easier. For guys like Wiggins and Oubre, you know, their jobs of finding off-ball screens and then cutting to the basket off of those screens are going to be much easier than, say, a guy like uh, James Wiseman, for example. I think it could take him a minute because he's the guy that actually has to set screens for Steph Curry or, or even more difficult, those, those sort of secondary staggered screens and things like that. That's hard. And I think it was pretty telling that Steph Curry basically had to create all his own shots Saturday night, but a couple of the shots he did make were off of Kevon Looney screens. And Kevon Looney's not a playmaking center by any stretch, but he at least knows where to set the screen for Steph, which is complicated enough, right? It's to learn a player's tendencies and to learn that kind of pick and roll game. And so I thought that two man game was something that Steph Curry was comfortable with early on. And a lot, of, like I said, a lot of his points came off of that. Uh, so I think for guys like Wiseman and Pascal, who's going to be involved in the pick and roll game a little bit, it could take a little bit longer. And by the way, that's why Marquise Chris is on this roster is because he seemed to have just a natural understanding and feel for playing with Steph. And he showed that in the preseason last year and ended up earning a roster spot uh, relatively quickly. Uh, so that's an important thing for this team. But uh, I think, you know, I, I would be concerned mostly with Wiseman in regards to playing with Steph in that way, but they're going to have to find a balance of, getting this number two pick to strike a balance with the most important player on the team and also trying to win games and not sabotage minutes early. Has Kerr given any new indications to when we're going to see uh, Wiseman? Obviously he's cleared the initial stage of the COVID protocol. Now he's doing individual workouts, but doesn't sound like he's going to play in the preseason. And um, yeah, I guess, what do we know? That he said it's unlikely he plays in any of these next two games in Sacramento. 
Great. Um, and he is close to returning. I mean, I don't understand really what the, the rules are because you're allowed to wear a mask and rebound in, in warmups, but you Very can't weird. actually do anything. Right. I, I don't really understand what the league protocol is. Um, but no, that doesn't make I, sense. Just making to me that either. shit up on the fly. It, it seems. seems like, it yeah. almost seems like they're using an excuse to slow play him getting into team practices. That's, but that might be fair. I don't know. So. I, I think we'll see him early in the regular season, but I would doubt that we they they throw him into the fire again. I mean, consider that the first two games are against Brooklyn and Milwaukee. I don't think they're going to be like, "Hey, welcome to the NBA. Go guard Giannis." Go guard, yeah. <laughs> um, have <laughs> or fun. Like, yeah, hey, go match up with Kevin Durant playing small ball five tonight. Have have fun with that. Uh, but the next two games are against Chicago and Detroit. I, I could see maybe him getting more minutes in those games, if maybe getting right. a few minutes that's, in that's, yeah. garbage time when they're you know losing by fifteen against Milwaukee on Christmas. But maybe get I don't know Milwaukee. There. Milwaukee's a fucking mess. He's not signing that. He's not signing that thing, baby. Uh, <laughs> doesn't mean they can't roll him though. But with that said, um, let's talk. Let's talk about Uber and Wiggins. I think. Uh, what Andy and I were talking about, one of our biggest takes from the first game for the first game was uh, there was a decent amount of defensive intensity for a preseason game. Like all that talk they'd been doing about being a top ten defense and really getting after it. We'll see if it translates, but they're definitely like committed to trying. It didn't look like a team who's going through the preseason motions. It looked like a team with some semblance of urgency to know they had to work at it. I was really impressed by uh, Kelly Oubre's aggressiveness in particular. Uh, that that full court, and then this this clip has kind of made the rounds on social media. But him picking up Jamal Murray in the full court and just right. being a, just being a pest, you love to see that kind of stuff. Um, they're gonna have to really, they're gonna have to figure out how to balance though being a little bit too aggressive, um, and just playing straight man to man defense. Sometimes they're they're really they're gonna. I think that this year. We keep talking about how their offense is going to have to score points early and how this is going to be a fast pace, but their defense is going to have to get stops early in the shot clock too. You know, it's that shot clock is just important to them on defense as on offense because they're not going to get a ton of uh, shot clock, you know, stops. Right? They're not going to stop them in a twenty-four second shot. They're going to have to win. Maybe yeah, get this a deflection. This isn't a veteran team with like yeah. a bunch of old guys who know how to do like ten rotations in a row. Exactly. And so you're going to need guys, specifically Wiggins and Oubre, to jump those passing lanes and do those things. And I thought Denver was an interesting test for that because Nikola Jokic is maybe the best passer in the league at this point and the best, I think, certainly at uh, anticipating when defenses are, are going to lean a certain way or the other and, and taking advantage of that. And he picked them apart a few times, but I don't think that he just – I don't think he killed them either. So um, their length – is going to be important. I've talked to maybe four or five coaches at this point about what they think defensively and give them credit. I mean, they, they have a goal statement, right? They have a mission statement of we're going to be a top 10 defense and our length and athleticism are going to help us do that. And every coach that I've talked to has basically said the same thing. So that's, that's real. When you hear those quotes, they really do at least, I don't know if they necessarily believe that they will be a top 10 defense, but they're trying to be. Um, and so I think with, and Wiggins and Uber are going to be a big part of that, but it's going to be it's it's going to be them trying to strike that balance of being aggressive, and it's going to be matchup dependent. I also thought it was pretty telling. Last point on this, but that they started Kevon Looney. Um, I think we were wondering who was going to be the starting center. I don't think it's because James Wiseman hasn't been in training camp. It's because hey, if you if your number one priority is to be a top ten defense, then start your best defensive player. Start, yeah, starting best a rookie center is not the way to do it. Yeah, or um, even Marquise Chris, who I think, I, like I said, yeah, has a ooh. really good. 
um, two-man game with Steph Curry. Like, if you want to open up this offense, you start Marquise Chris, not Kevon Looney. But I think they're less concerned about the offense. And they yeah, say, you, you just need to be good at defense first and foremost. Looney's the right move. But actually, I was going to ask about the starting center because even if Wiseman was healthy and, and he didn't have COVID, he was in training camp, I don't think that matters for a team that sounds like they're going to have some center issues. Do they do anything? Like, what can they actually do about that? Because outside of, like, I guess Deadman's out there, I guess maybe you could trade for PJ Tucker if Houston's blowing it up. But it's like, what can they realistic do? Realistic do out realistically do outside of like kind of rolling with what they got? Not really anything, right? I mean, is Dwayne Deadman? Dwayne Deadman. Do you guys remember Luke Babbitt? Yes, shooter, he was like baby. this. He was this three point floor spacing like power forward, small ball four guy. That was oh, you want to open up your offense? We'll put Luke Babbitt on the floor. And I like I watched a handful of Luke Babbitt games, and I don't think I've ever made him seen him make a three pointer. But he had this right. reputation of being a three pointer. And like you look at Basketball Reference, and he shoots like forty percent from three point range or something. But I swear to God, I've never seen him make a three in my life. He goes kills him garbage two. time. Yeah, yeah, he goes for zero for two for like one and one rebound in ten minutes a game. That to me is Dwayne Dedman. It's like he's got this reputation of being a floor spacing center, but I don't know that I've ever actually seen him hit a three in a real game on TV. Uh, and so I don't know what this, I, I get a lot of questions about Dwayne Bedman on Twitter. So I just wanted to say that and put that out there, but, um, that's fair. I'm, I'm fair. not actually, yeah. Like I'm very skeptical that his three point shot is real other like, okay. He had one season where he hit a few, but, right. um, exactly. But he is a, a semi-competent defensive big, which I, I just don't know if like Wiseman is going to be slow played. I mean, Maybe this is just PTSD of Looney's just continual list of injuries. But, like, I mean, Smilegeach isn't ready to play. No. May never be. And Marquis Chris and, and Looney are kind of what they are, which is, you know, productive in smaller roles. Like, at some point, I'm wondering, do they need another big just, just to have a body at this point? No, I think they're going to roll with what they have. Look, you've got your defensive specialist in Looney. You've got your sort of – I kind of – I envision – Looney is sort of the Zaza, Pachulia, Andrew Bogut type where he's your big seven, not necessarily right, not right. Really seven feet, but you know what I mean? He's your traditional sort of center. Uh, Marquise Chris is sort of the David West of this group where he's a, he's probably the best passer of the group. Uh, he's got a nice little, he's got probably the best touch out of the three. Best offensive game overall. Exactly. Yeah. And then uh, you're going to have to carve out minutes for Wiseman at some point. And they're going to have to try. I, I think you'll, you'll see Looney, start games and for a majority of the first, I don't know, six minutes with Steph and when Draymond's out there, then you'll probably get Marquise Chris in there. Um, when Steph and Draymond go out, I think you're going to see this bench trio emerge of Oubre, um, Wiggins, and Marquise Chris, a, a nice kind of uh, fast-paced team. They're going to just try to out-sprint other bench units. And then right. James Wiseman will come in after that when Steph and Draymond re-enter the game and you'll get a few minutes there before with, with Wiseman before Kevon Looney comes back in the game. And that's still, I kind of worked out this rotation. That's why I'm kind of talking about because I mapped this out the other day and that still leaves about six minutes per game for Draymond Green to play ball, small ball center. So when like, when you really need to go and win a game and you can't afford to mess around with this group, you just play Draymond at small ball five and then you have Wiggins and Oubre and then maybe Kent Bazemore or Brad Wanamaker out there. Do you think... Because Warriors Twitter loves loves these young guys, especially Jordan Poole. Do you think any of these guys can actually play real minutes? And 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 it's Jordan Poole. I'm thinking uh, Michael Mulder looked great, but it's mm-hmm. like how much can he really play? You know, mm-hmm. Damian Lee 
Same thing with him. Because it's if I were to choose, I'm picking Wanamaker and Bazemore every single game, regardless of how well those guys play. And there's only so many minutes, unless Steve Kerr wants to fuck around and play 13 guys, which he might. But how realistic is it those guys actually play real minutes? Because it's cute to have Michael Mora on the roast, roster, but he's probably not going to play much in any regular season game. I, I By default, it'll be Bazemore and Wanamaker, right? But this team... To me, it was telling that this team took 43 pointers in their first preseason yeah, game. Yeah. Um, and they made like 27% of them, which was bad, but it was good that they took 40 yep. because they took 31 per game last year. So that's nine more. And that's a really significant leap from one season to the next. But a big part of that was Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre going three for 12, you know, from three point range. And there are going to be nights where they can't afford to do that. And they're going to need to get some three point shooters out there. Michael Mulder is going to earn a spot on this roster because he's the second best three point shooter on this team right now with, with Clay Thompson out, which says a lot. And like so the yeah, fourth might, best player, which is like, right. And he, he's going to be the sort of the nominal 15th guy on this roster, yeah. but there are going to be nights where Kelly Uber and Andrew Wiggins are going three for 12 from three point range. And they're just saying, you know, we need to get somebody on the floor to space to, to get some shots to go down and Mulder and Steve Kerr is going to look down the bench and say, Michael Mulder, go in. And he's going to leap. Wanamaker and Bazemore and Poole and wow. Damian Lee. Like that's, wow. th- there are going to be nights where that happens. Um, but, you know, and Jordan Poole has got that confident shot. We'll see if that actually translates to the NBA and stuff like that. I still think that Damian Lee is one of these guys who's reliable. He doesn't really take anything off the table. You, he's not going to screw things up. He's very much just like Kent Bazemore in that way. Kent Bazemore is slightly a better version of that. Um, but there are going to be nights where these guys are just like Bazemore has been hit and miss. He's been a streaky shooter his whole career. Brad Wanamaker's played in the league. Yeah, for you're, not, you're not putting, you're not putting Baysmore in there for spacing reasons. You're putting it in there because no. it kind of creates havoc. So there are going to be nights where I think if it gets like it was last night where, you know, a lot of guys are taking threes, but it's just not going and you need to find some shooting, you can see Kerr go 12 deep on this group and just be like, all right, which one of you guys has the hot hand? And then whoever right. ends up emerging that night will play the end of the games. And I think Warriors fans have gotten used to this idea of, hey, we know what the closing lineup is every night, right? It's going to be Steph, Clay, Iguodala, you know, Kevin Durant and Draymond Green, whatever that death lineup is. That's not going to be the case this year. I don't think that's going to be the case this year. I think you're going to have a mix and match every night type of deal. Yeah, I'm almost looking at, I mean, the hope for Mulder would be something like, and I don't think he'll ever be this good, but like how like Bryn Forbes for the Spurs, like not a particularly you know, he's, he's somewhat limited player, but like his value to the Spurs is incredibly high because they just don't have shooting. They just need someone to throw in there because like Derek White, DeJounte Murray, DeRozan, all these guys can't shoot. And it's like, sometimes you got to throw someone in there who can take, who will take them and make shots. Yeah. Maybe Wes can shoot. Throw him in there. (laughs) I can't shoot. I'm a, I'm a Ah. low post bruiser. I play. Are you? How tall are you? I'm not tall enough to be a low post bruiser. I'm 5'10". But uh, I just uh, – I play bigger than my size. I'm kind of wow. like P.J. Tucker. In yeah, I was go- okay, there you go. I mean, yeah. you can get the corner three going. Get the- yeah, I got the – I get the quarter – so I'll take a, I'll take a three-pointer early in every game. And oh, if it goes in – Have them respect you, yeah. Yeah, if it goes in, I'm taking more. And if I miss it, I'm not shooting again for the rest of the game. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm just throwing elbows. You can see Wes playing at the JCC. Uh, that's great. <laughs> All right, before before we get out of here, let's 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 end with this question. Obviously, they're playing the Kings on Tuesday and Thursday. What are you looking for? What are you watching for specifically um, in this condensed preseason and all around just weird year? <laughs> More of the same. Uh, I want to see the chemistry with Steph Curry continue to build. 
I think that's going to be so important. I thought it was interesting that Andrew Wiggins was the, the main ball handler in that first quarter to open the game. Um, and he ended up having, I think, one assist and two turnovers. But I thought the eye test was friendlier to him than the box score was. Right. Yep. Um, yep. And so I want to see more of that. Um, I'll, it'll be interesting to see if they put up the same rate of three-pointers. Kind of just, look, we identified some trends in that game. And, and a lot of those trends we talked about here. Do the, were those just a one-off instance, or are they indeed trends? I think that's what we're going to see with these two games in Sacramento, if this is really how this team wants to play, or if that was just a factor of them playing the Denver Nuggets and, and whatever that matchup resulted in. But, um, yeah, that, that that chemistry with Steph. You want to continue to see some springiness from Kevon Looney. I thought he had a nice game for them. And just to continue to see, like, who on this bench emerges as as the most trusted guy. I thought Kent Bazemore, Brad Wanamaker had moments. But I right. wasn't particularly impressed with them in that first game. And so you're going to want to see who who kind of leaps off the page off that bench. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think I think there were enough good signs to be optimistic about the Warriors, but enough kind of question marks to where you're like, okay, um, let, let's see if uh, any of these young guys can kind of step up and take that mantle. Because I think the, the big one is too, is like, can we can shoot? Can Ubre shoot? Because that is a lot of open shots, especially when Draymond's back. Like, especially when Draymond's back, even though he's not demanding defense, he's getting guys the ball. And, and that's right. Ubre and Wiggins. And if they're, you know, there was a play where Steph kind of drew a double after a crossover against Jokic and he gets Wiggins an open three and it's a clank. You know, I had a little Harry B PTSD, but is that, is that, <laughs> but is that going to be all season? We, we don't know. And, and, right. and then Wiggins went out there and then I think two possessions after that hit a step back three from the corner. Right. And so I right. love that. That's the stuff that you want to, I, I thought everybody played a little tentative in that first game and you want to see somebody that's not Steph Curry go out there and just say, you know what? This is my night. I'm going to go out there and, and just make this, this team. Mine. It kind of has to be Wiggins though, right? Like it kind of, or Uber. Know, yeah. Yeah. And so that's interesting. Wiggins, I think, has the skill set to be that second scorer. Because who's but the Oubre second? has the mentality. But Oubre <laughs> but yeah, has the mindset. True. That is, yeah. yeah. And so that's going to be, to me, an interesting push, in, like kind of tug of war that happens. Is I think Wiggins will be more content to just say, hey, you really seem to want this. You can have it. Whereas Oubre is going to say, thank you very much. I don't care <laughs> that maybe you're, you're four for five in the first half and having a nice, like a rare, efficient night, Andrew Wiggins. I'm going to keep shooting until I'm instead of one for 12. Now I'm going to be two for 13. Like that's going to be my mindset. So uh, I I think it could be, that's going to be a dynamic and it'll be interesting to see if anybody, Draymond Green, Steph Curry, Steve Kerr can rein Oubre in on nights where he has that. I look, I'm not, I'm I'm speaking about Oubre. Like I've watched every game of his career. I don't know that that's going to be the case, but just early on, that seems to be sort of his MO. If they could meld those two guys together, I think it would be nice. They just put Oubre. Would it? Yeah, like how well, I mean, it could, it, could be, it could be awful the other way, but yes, theoretically, <laughs> if you take the positive traits from both of them, yes, it's like a it's that. like a a longer, more athletic Dion Waiters. Wow, that's a little. That's, that's Anthony. A low that's that's a Anthony. Low that's low Anthony Edwards. No, all right, all right. That's Sam. You had Sam. <laughs> no, no, we'll, we'll get out of here on this. I mean, I think we can. I think we can all agree. Uh, we're a little. They're a little more exciting than they were last year. I remember last mm-hmm. year's preseason just being like. I mean, we, we were joking about it. It was like the sad boy tour. Like everyone was just like every post-game press conference felt like a funeral. And yeah. it was just, you know, like obviously the D'Lo thing didn't work out. But like, uh, you know, Steph and Kerr and others definitely felt like it wasn't going to work out earlier than when the trade happened. So it's good to at least see that they're 
they're bought in and you know yeah. we'll see we'll see where they end by the end of the season. I love my job. I love my job. I hated my job last year. Uh, <laughs> it was by that was your first year on a beat, right? Like for it was, any, uh, oh it wow, was. You, you got really thrown into the yeah, fire. You got fucked. Yeah. I I got blamed for ever because I I was covering the the heat before that, and uh, I leave my heat duties and enter the Warriors universe off of, off of five finals. Feel off very of five happy. finals. They go 15 and 50, worst record in the league. The Heat go to the NBA Finals. I heard about that a lot, not only on Twitter, but from friends and family. It was very hurtful. Wow. (laughs) Well, hey, hey, here's one thing, okay? Here's one word of advice. Just don't say anything bad about Steph. You'll be fine Uh, in the the Warriors universe. And if they fall apart this year, we're going to trade you to L.A. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Wes, we appreciate you, man. Good stuff. Stay safe at the games, huh? I will. Thanks for having me on, guys. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming on, man. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.